Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Wake Up London podcast. This episode looks at conflict, violence and war so much in the news since we recorded the first episode. We look at how wake uppers are handling strong emotions. We also have two conversations after our peace sit which took place in Trafalgar Square. And we also have a conversation with Yeva, who's one of our wake-uppers who grew up in Lithuania. There's some music also. And a reading from Creating True Peace by Thich Nhat Hanh, by Orla. I wanted to start, though, by reading two quotes from Tai about the subject. The first one. Root out the violence in your life and learn to live compassionately and mindfully. Seek peace. When you have peace within, real peace with others is possible. Number two. Each moment is a chance for us to make peace with the world, to make peace possible for the world, to make happiness possible for the world. And I wanted to invite us to sit together just for 30 seconds before we hear our first music track by Hilary Kowski called Om Song from Peace Sounds 1. And during this 30 seconds, we can hold all in our hearts who are affected by war throughout the world. Picture of this green 
on to the towers, on to the soldiers, on to the suffering, on to the living, on to the giving, on to the women, yeah, on to the brothers, on to the mothers, on to the wounded, on to the rivers, on the forgivers, on the rebuilders, on to the heart, that's where it starts, on to the rhythm, please come and see, please come and look, please come and see, I'm watching till the breaking of the song by Hilary Kowski, a yoga teacher who lives up in Manchester who is part of the Plum Village family. That song was on the album Peace Sounds 1 that Wake Up London put out in 2012. We'll move on to the long conversation for this podcast episode and this is with Yeva who is a regular at the Sangha and comes from Lithuania. I was interested in talking to Yeva following a sharing that we have about how the conflict in Ukraine was affecting her. Uh, Lithuania has a history of being invaded and occupied. We started our conversation talking about how she came to the Sangha and then moving on to talk about how the current conflict is affecting her. And we talk about sides and we talk about emotions and also human relationships within conflict. start by you saying who you are and um, what how, when you started coming to Wake Up London and why. Um, so yes my name is Yava and I'm originally from Lithuania. I came to the UK in 2009 to study here and then um, I thought I might stay for a couple of years but that ended up being a slightly longer period so, so now I'm in the country for um, I don't know, 
12, 13 years. And, and I found myself feeling at home and uh, having found it, uh, new friends and, and also the wake up community, which I, I think I joined in 2018, something like that. I can't remember exactly when, but, but then, um, and I ended up, ended up uh, g going back to the, to the mindfulness afternoons because they felt very close to what I was experiencing. And it was really somehow, um, yeah, it just felt, it just felt really right for me in, in many ways, um, the practices themselves and the sense of community and the um, talking about feelings uh, in a very open way. Uh, that was something that I was looking for. Um, so previously to that, I used to go to a Christian church as well. Um, but, but then I realized that actually I'm not, I don't need to be um, defined by any specific religion uh, that that didn't matter to me that much. But for me, it's it's the it's the overall values, the overall you know spiritual yearning, I suppose, that was more interesting than any sort of dogma, so to speak. Um, and. And so, yeah, I, I really value this community mm. still. For, for anyone who doesn't know about the sharing part of our afternoons, um, would you tell us what, that, what happens with that, how, how it's done? So with the sharing, we sit around the circle and um, we basically sit around in silence. And whenever someone wants to share something from their life, or from their practice, from relationships, from work, um, any sort of aspect of their life, we bow in and we uh, talk for a couple of minutes um, into the space and, uh, and other people just hold the space very mindfully. Um, and there is no response to what anyone is saying. We just let it be and we um, um, hold whatever that person is saying in that moment mm. um yeah thanks yeah it's quite a special practice isn't it i think this is a very it's such a kind of touching atmosphere somehow when that begins knowing that the, the sangha just has its yeah the sangha's voice is made of many voices and all of those can be heard i think that's really yeah yeah mm. Yeah, not having to respond is something that leaves so much openness and so much space for everyone to just reflect and not rush into any sort of conclusion about what someone is saying. Yeah. And that's that's also very healing also for that other person knowing that this is okay, whatever you just said, it's all fine. This is all good and we're all here. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that's very, very, I found that very profound somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Thanks, Yeva. I was interested in, in, in chatting to you and having um having you on the on the podcast because of the recent world events unfolding. So the, the Russian invasion of of Ukraine. And it's something that we'd shared about a little bit um previously. And I wondered whether you could because you grew, as you say, you grew up in Lithuania. Um 
and yeah i just wanted to kind of draw you out and i just just to open up and let you just um respond to that it's it's been yeah it's been two weeks of kind of unspeakable violence and and i think something that that the, the wake up community um is kind of born of is is ticknat hands experiences of of the war in vietnam and the peace teachings that came out of that and um so and yeah the 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 episode will talk to a few different people about about their experiences of this but um i did yeah i i wanted to talk to you because of having that kind of closeness geographically speaking um and and historically and just invite you to share a little bit Mm. Yeah, of course. So we were kind of expecting that war for months now, I suppose, but nobody expected the scale of it to be so huge and so sudden and just so, so, you know, violent and just explosive. Um, and so, yeah, I felt for the, in the first couple of days, I felt just so much anxiety, so much anger, so much just, yeah, a lot of rage in what was happening and just fear and all of these feelings um, because it just felt like it was evolving so quickly. And of course, in the event, um, in the event if Ukraine would have been occupied very quickly in say a day or two, that would mean immediate threat to my own country, uh, which is Lithuania um, and other and other post-Soviet countries that are neighboring the region. Um, and so, and so, I think in the day two, we ha I had a call with my family in Lithuania, just uh, you know, exploring the ways and what would happen if that would suddenly escalate very quickly to say Ukraine is taken in a couple of days. Um, meaning that was an easy invasion, therefore other countries will be invaded very quickly too. That, that was a possibility. Um, so we had to talk about what would happen. And and so um, my mom already had packed her immediate belongings in her backpack, just knowing that if, there, if suddenly this happens, they would need to go somewhere, I don't know where. And they would probably think of ways to coming to to stay with me, and um, and of course I said, uh, of course I would welcome them. See it as wide, see it as tall, see it as high. Uh, but just all of these surreal conversations happened very very quickly um, and um, yeah it just it just made me feel very vulnerable just anxious fearful or all of these emotions happening at the same time and um, and then we were also you know just following the news and to what, what was happening how quickly the war was uh, progressing and is the Russian army succeeding? Basically, you know things like that. And and and, but what we found was that Ukrainian people were very resistant to this invasion. And 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 yeah, it, it you know them fighting back brought so much suffering 
uh, into their own country. Um, at the same time, they showed the Russian army that they're not someone who would just give in their own freedom um, to just anyone who wishes to do so. Um, and so we were just thinking that every single day that Ukraine stands uh, against Russian regime in that sense is providing another couple of months of freedom for Lithuania, for Poland, for other countries. So, so it, was, it was just all of these thoughts, um, you know, being there all the time. And on top of that, seeing all this tragedy happening in Ukraine and what's the best way to respond to it. Um, and so, of course, I donated to Red Cross, I donated to health charities and just to do something from what I could do. Um, and, and yeah, I, I guess, I guess in terms of Plum um, Village practice and how that helped me to ground myself a little bit, and it did, because in the first couple of days, I felt a lot of rage, just um, not only for the Russian army or the or the or Putin, but also for other Russian people just thinking, why are you not standing against your government when this is happening? And it just, I felt like these thoughts could spiral so quickly, making me feel uh, anger and rage against other simple Russian people who have not nothing to do with this decision to go invade Ukraine. Um, and so it took me a couple of days, a couple of moments to really just ground myself and, and understand that this is, um, you know, not everyone is not not everyone in Russia is pro-war for sure, and I cannot blame each and every Russian person for this. Um, and so, just going back to that realization that 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 my anger and my rage is going out of proportion, just and kind of referring back to Thai teaching and to. Uh, meditation practice and just kind of reflecting on my own emotions um, that was very helpful wow um, and yeah thanks Yeva that's very personal I I wondered about you, you mentioned there about speaking to your mum and I, mm. I, I wonder you're, you're doing that every day I'm sure and mm. yeah I, I want I wanted to ask how how that's been and also about the because lithuania has a has a history of being kind of mm. this the shadow of of occupation is 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 it's there and and um and i wonder how much that was something that was spoken about in your childhood and and if yeah and if that's if that's anything you could speak to at all Mm, yeah, so I, I was actually born in the Soviet Union mm. uh, while it was, you know, still there, but kind of crumbling already. Um, I was I was five uh, when it dissolved, the Soviet Union back then. Um, and I remember there was a bit of a chaos about um, just economic, you know, institutional chaos going on. But I was quite young to understand all of it. Uh, I mean, um, yeah, in Soviet days, I remember 
living in a bit of a, it was a simple life, but it was, we lived in a lot of lack. We didn't have a lot of things. We had to queue for, for bread. We had to queue for, you know, simple products and shops and there was just not enough. <laughs> but it, it wasn't the, the, you know, the worst of it. I mean, the worst of it was that nobody could actually speak their mind or just if you don't follow the ideology, you just are either incarcerated or followed or I don't know, all sorts of san sanctions. So, um, so yeah, and then, so when I was five, we became independent and, but then what happened next, not even a year after that, it was January 13th, 1991, when I was six, um, the, Russian tanks invaded independent um, Lithuania. They came into our capital uh, with their tanks um, straight up to the television tower to occupy the tower and go up there and to um, basically say that, um, go to the, you know, get access to the TV channels to say that Russians are back and you should fear, fear us or, you know, whatever. <laughs> So, um, but what happened then was that simple people uh, stood against the tanks without any ammunition, without anything, and a lot of them were killed as a, as a result of that. But uh, but that meant we um, we stayed independent, and they had to turn around with their tanks and leave the country. Mm -hmm. So without these people standing up against the tanks, we would still be, you know potentially occupied by Russia. Mm. So it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of still emotional to remember it. And I remember just being, you know, receiving calls from my parents. They were away at uh, that time and said, don't go anywhere or just stay safe. And uh, I was there with my cousin and my grandma. Um, and, you know, being little, you don't really understand what's going on. You just remember the feeling, you remember the fear. Mm. And, and so, yeah, I just remember being, being scared and afraid. And so didn't understand much. And I'm sure Ukrainian children feel the same. They don't know what's going on. They just feel afraid. There's, there's quite, um, there's a history of peaceful protest as well, isn't there? Because there's, in, in 1989, I'm going to read this straight from this, um, it's this website that I've found with some history of Lithuania, but this was the um, the the Baltic Way in 1989. Baltic Way, yeah. If you, I mean, this is I find this incredible. But in 1989, millions of Lithuanians, Latvians, and Estonians stood hand in hand, showing their unity in the face of the Soviet regime, and making the return of freedom seem increasingly probable. So that was that was a line of people that crossed former Soviet countries. Mm, I mean, yeah. that, just put, that just gives me shivers to think about it. I remember it. I was there with my family. Um, you were? I was there. Yeah, I was there. I have the picture. And wow. I, <laughs> I remember, yeah, I remember driving in this van and there were a lot of people. And back then the, there were no, there was no internet. Nobody knew, you know, I don't know how everyone got together because it was just yeah. like, it was just so organized no telephone or was it radio i think it was just radio to be honest and and people just came knew exactly where they had to be and um we know you know we stood there together and we st you know 
held our hands. And I remember being pulled from two sides quite quite strongly from because one side was uh, with this grandma, and then the other one was my 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 mom. Mm. So <laughs> yeah. so um, I remember just feeling, oh gosh, this is painful. <laughs> Something stretched from to to from my shoulders, but. <laughs> but but not yeah I, I remember being it being a very special time as well I mean within within the plum plum village tradition there's this history of so the, the history of Thai and being a young monastic in during the war in Vietnam where I think, it, yeah, it, it feels fair to say that, I mean, he was speaking out against the war. He was speaking out against um, arms coming in from the States. Um, and he was saying, you know, there are, you said many times, a few times when we've been speaking about people, like, and remembering that there's people that are you know, deeply affected. And I just wonder what, yeah, you, you mentioned before about this kind of rage and this anger that you're feeling. And I wonder because it's a question I've been asking myself as well, like what, what happens to the human mind and why war and violence and power? And well, I mean, it's a huge subject, but I just wonder whether there are ways which you have been able to think about that, you know, through the teachings or um, through your own mm. experience and how yeah. how you can make sense of that, which is a question that I'm, yeah... I'm kind of daily asking myself at the moment. Hmm. No, I know. Um, I know it's it's. So I, in terms of violence, I understand. I understand that if you pick up a gun, you're violent against someone. Hmm. I'm just also kind of thinking about in this particular situation of Ukraine where. It's completely unprovoked invasion into a, you know, independent country that has no need, no want, no wish at all to fight at all. Mm. They didn't want this war. You know, it's it's not them who initiated it. So I do struggle with that because, because if you do not fight back, if you do not defend yourself as a country, uh, if you do not defend your your values of who you are, your independence, then essentially you're you're still giving in to dictatorship and you're losing. You know, if you're not if you're not dead physically, then you're dead inside by ideology, by dictatorship. Um, so so I. I don't even know in the situation whether I would be an absolute pacifist in the situation where I would not defend the country or my values at all. Um, and and I have to say that I do support those people who feel brave enough to stand up against it. Mm-hmm. And and yeah and yes it, it it does bring and yes it does bring you know chaos it, it brings suffering it brings all of these things and and it's devastating and it just it just um this moral di- dilemma that that is is difficult to grasp to be honest and 
And I think, yes, in the ideal world, I would, I would totally say, you know, you have to just drop all of your arms and you have to talk about it. But, but in the case if, if Ukraine would drop their arms, the, the consequence of that would be the dictatorship going into the country. And that's something that people don't want to live with. And I completely mm. understand that. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, thank you. I, w I wonder what the, what the feeling is um, with, with, with your family and with your, the area that you grew up in. I expect you're hearing from you know, your family about the town and about that region. Um, yeah, what, what, what's happening there right now? Mm, um, well, people are uh, supporting Ukraine quite a lot. Um, they are supporting the refugees. They're supporting the Ukrainian military as well. The, you know, the, because because for for many reasons, uh, NATO is not going to join this war, and um, meaning that Ukrainians are left alone to fight the big beasts on themselves. And and um, and so you know, simple men are, are going to the country to help their fellow, you know brothers to you know keep their freedom and and that's i think i think it's a super brave and super um yeah very profound thing to do um i don't think i don't think it's again i don't think that this is the form of violence this is a form of self-defense and that's something that i'm kind of thinking about um and uh and you know the thing that really struck me was that um when Ukrainians um, uh, find some Russian, Russian Russian soldiers who say that you know we don't we don't know why we're here we don't want to fight we don't want this violence um, the Ukrainians um, are not violent against these Russian, Russian soldiers they they talk to them they give them tea they give them a phone call to their families if they wish they um, you know there I don't think there's this innate violence in Ukraine. I think I think they, they really do not want any of this. So what I found really beautiful is that they um, them being kind to Russian soldiers um, wow, that's and, mm. and and saying, you know, we understand you, we believe you that you don't know what you're doing here. You you, you just follow your leader, whoever says whatever to do and and so and so that I found yeah, just really touching to know that you know these acts of kindness are still happening, and um, kind of, it kind of rehumanizes the situation, doesn't it? Yeah. I always come whenever I think about war. There's always this moment um, during the trenches in, when the, the, on Christmas Day these two sides played football together. You know this one, and it's just, it, but it it both saddens, delights, and baffles me all at the same time. That you know, that then. There would be, yeah, two human beings, um, or a group of human beings who were mm. who are human again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I, I really do hope that um, out of this tragedy, a greater beauty will grow in this world because this is the hope that it just, it's without it. I don't know. It's just so sad. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Yeah, and, and yeah, it's just incredible to see all of this coming together of people and their kindness and their mm. 
mm. you know, completely going out of their way to help people to, you know, for Polish people to stand there uh, with open arms to people offer their home and um, being so hospitable without, even you know, without having much themselves. It's, mm. I think it's so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time for like, yeah, speaking to me and um is, is, is there anything else you want to share? And otherwise, I would suggest we have a sound of the bell. No, I think, yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Eva, for your sharing. On Sunday the 6th of March, a number of us gathered in Trafalgar Square in central London. We were there that day to have a peace sit. Uh, we sat in half an hour and listened to the three sounds of the bell at the beginning and at the end. We had a number of us there in person and then a few on Zoom as well. I asked Kirsten, who helped to co-organise um, the event, and also Duncan, who was there, what their experiences were of the of sitting in, in silence in public. As we were sitting, the square was filling up for a demonstration by the Stop the War Coalition, and many speakers talking about peace and the possibility of peace. Interestingly, this space in 2012 was Ty's last visit to London, where some a few thousand people gathered, filled the square and listened to Ty talking about a little bit about his life and a little bit about practices of Plum Village. Um, so, Kirsten, we're here in, in Trafalgar Square and it was, well, kind of a couple of nights ago that we'd started talking about putting something together um, to do a, a sit here. And yeah, would you, would you like to tell me how it felt for you to kind of come up with the the idea that you'd like to do something yeah yeah, yeah. so I think how how it came about was this feeling of powerlessness and despair and fear I was feeling all these emotions earlier in the week and I spoke to my mum who's German she was a refugee in 1945 and I think partly because of my mum I've always been you know looking for ways to promote peace and understanding and avoid suffering that can lead to war you know that's kind of the legacy she she kind of gave me and uh, so i talked to her and my mum was saying that in germany there were there were all these um, visible rallies for peace over there and i was struck by the difference to to here to london where i felt i'm a journalist by background and i could see that over here we're already getting very polarized in what we're allowed to say and what we're allowed to you know if we critique nato or critique our own western kind of uh, record we're at risk of being accused of being kremlin mouthpieces and uh, you know on the side of putin and i was really really frightened by that because i've seen what's happened with iraq and afghanistan and things and i think this time the 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 pro-peace voices are really being closed down. So when I heard in Germany, Italy, France, people are coming together to, to you know, say that they don't want war and they're pro-peace, I thought I, I need to do something like that. And I'd like to do it in a way that's 
embodying peace in itself. So here at this demonstration we're at, you know, there are different kind of voices speaking and some can sound a little bit aggressive. I mean, they, they're trying to raise their voice so the whole crowd can hear them and they're straining their voices. But when I was sitting in the meditation, I could really feel that one really key way that you can be part of a peace movement is by embodying peace yourself as much as possible but also being visible being visible in it because we can all say we're pro-peace and we can go and, and meditate at, or pray in church but that's a little bit hidden i think it's really important that people can see uh, the real groundswell for peace everybody wants peace and safety that's ult ultimately what people want and i just feel it's so important now to show that and make that visible mm. um, and it fed me today it fed me doing that with other people and it always has even if it's a little bit distracting you know there's all kinds of noises in the background and there was music and there was clocks timing i actually find sometimes that i can get my most sometimes some of my deepest meditations have been out in a public place because you kind of feel into the kernel of peace within you the island of peace within you and the kind of whirlwind outside you and um, there's something very powerful about doing that mm. like almost in feeling the contrast yes. it makes it clearer yes kind of thing, how you, yes yeah. what we're doing anyway i mean mm. we're doing that anyway all the time going to the the bit under the waves to the to the to the still point right under the waves the but there's yeah. nothing that demonstrates that more than doing it out in a central city location mm. where you really are aware of that and um yeah, I remember doing outside the Houses of Parliament one time and being struck by that as well. So I knew it would be a good thing to do, but I'm so grateful to you, Joe, for oh. getting on board and <laughs> make your it, bell. Making a poster. Making a poster, <laughs> bringing your bell. Yeah. Well, thanks, Kirsten. Great. I, um, I've practiced walking meditation in public once, yeah. but I, I've, not, I've not sat in this way before. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, yeah, it was, it was, I, I've been to protests and demonstrations before and I've often felt, I've often struggled being in that environment. I mean, I, there's so much um, intense emotion that's being expressed, understandably, and it can be very angry and overwhelming to be in that place um, and there's a degree to which I, I feel the same need sometimes to sort of unburden myself of, of such strong feelings but I've often found I've felt less peaceful afterwards in myself mm. and so it was it was a very different experience today to sit here and to hear to hear the sounds of protest and, and emotive demonstration going on but to feel to feel that I was able to stay with the practice and with people who were not just talking about peace um, but were were doing it in the moment 
and, and not getting lost in anger and fear that I'm sure we've all felt at many points um, since we started to hear about the conflict. Um, and I, I feel more able now in whatever small ways arise in my life to be able to offer myself however that may be to, to anyone who, who needs it that I encounter who's suffering with this conflict I don't have personal ties to Ukraine but I know I know people that do and I know that I will come across people that do and I feel more solid in myself in our community having practice like this together which is something that I, I feel I could then offer to offer to others wow. um, thank you so much that's, that's three short sharings now from Irina Martha and Annabelle I asked them how they practice with strong emotions I think it helps me a lot to sing Blamily songs thinking about difficult situations so I don't disconnect emotionally from the suffering of the world and at the same time I can take care of my own suffering. Mm, that's a good question. In, if I want to feel a strong emotion like fear or anger or grief or you know excitement as well uh, sometimes that can be very strong. <laughs> I, I think my main initial go-to response is to ground my body into sensations. So maybe I'll lean on the ball of my feet and then onto the heel to really reconnect with the earth. What do I do with strong feelings? I recognise them, I let them be there, I try to allow them and lean into them and not suppress them I guess. Um, I tr try being the word there because I don't always achieve it. I have a long history of suppressing feelings so yeah, when or even repressing them. So yeah, when a feeling, a big strong feeling comes up I try to let it be. Um, yeah, I try to feel it and allow it to be there. Thank you so much, you three, for sharing your practices dealing with strong emotions. We're now going to hear the voice of Orla reading from the book Creating True Peace, Ending Conflict in Yourself your family, your community, and the world. So this book considers conflict, considers violence, and considers how we relate to that through spiritual practice. We're reading here, the reading here is from the beginning of the book, looking at what is true peace, the nature of war, and the nature of peace. Chapter one, what is true peace? True peace is always possible, yet it requires strength and practice, particularly in times of great difficulty. To some, peace and non-violence are synonymous with passivity and weakness. 
In truth, practising peace and non-violence is far from passive. To practice peace, to make peace alive in us, is to actively cultivate understanding, love and compassion, even in the face of misperception and conflict. Practising peace, especially in times of war, requires courage. All of us can practise non-violence. We begin by recognising that, in the depths of our consciousness, we have both the seeds of compassion and the seeds of violence. We become aware that our mind is like a garden that contains all kinds of seeds. Seeds of understanding, seeds of forgiveness, seeds of mindfulness, and also seeds of ignorance, fear, and hatred. We realize that at any given moment, we can behave with either violence or compassion, depending on the strength of the seeds within us. When the seeds of anger, violence, and fear are watered in us several times a day, they will grow stronger. Then we are unable to be happy, unable to accept ourselves. We suffer and we make those around us suffer. Yet when we know how to cultivate the seeds of love, compassion and understanding in every day, those seeds will become stronger and the seeds of violence and hatred will become weaker and weaker. We know that if, the water, if we water the seeds of anger, violence and fear in us, we will lose our peace and our stability. We will suffer and we will make those around us suffer. But if we cultivate the seeds of compassion, we nourish peace within us and around us. With this understanding, we are already on the path of creating peace. The teachings of this book are offered to help anyone who aspires to lead a life of non-violence. These practices are the living legacy of the Buddha and of my ancestral teachers. They are as powerful today as they were at the end of the Buddha's awakening 2,600 years ago. Together they form a practice manual of peace for you, your family, your community and the world. At this time, with so much conflict in the world, I'm offering this book to help us realise that non-violence is not inevitable. Peace is there for us in every moment. It is our choice. The Nature of War in 1946, during the French Indochina War, I was a novice monk at the Tu Hu Temple in Hue, central Vietnam. At the time, the city of Hue was occupied by French army. One day, two French soldiers arrived at our temple. While one stayed in the jeep outside the temple gate, the other came in carrying a gun and demanded all of our rice. We had only one sack of rice for all the monks, and he wanted to take it away. <clears throat> the soldier was young, about 20 and hungry. He looked thin and pale, as if he had malaria, which I also had at the time. I had to obey his order to carry our heavy bag of rice to the jeep. It was a long distance, and I staggered under the bag's precious weight. Anger and unhappiness rose up in me. They were taking the little rice we had, leaving our community without any food. Later, to my relief, I learned that one of the older monks had buried a larger container of rice on the temple grounds, deep in the earth. Many times over the years I have meditated on this French soldier. I have seen that in his teens he had to leave his parents, brothers, sisters and friends to travel across the world to Vietnam, where he faced the horrors of killing my countrymen and being killed. I have often wondered whether the soldier survived and was able to return home to his parents. 
It is very likely that he did not survive. The French Indochina War lasted many years, ending only with the French defeat at Dien Bien Phu and the Geneva Accord in 1954. After looking deeply, I came to realise that the Vietnamese were not the only victims of the war. The French soldiers were victims as well. With this insight, I no longer have had any anger toward the younger soldier. Compassion for him was born in me, and I only wished him well. I did not know the French soldier's name, and he did not know mine. But when we met, we were already enemies. He came and was prepared to kill me for our food, and I had to comply with his order to protect myself and my fellow monks. The two of us were not by nature enemies. Under different circumstances, we could have become close friends, even loving each other as brothers. It was only the war that separated us and brought violence between us. I think that says violence. Sorry, there's a slight blur on my photocopy. Um, this is the nature of war. It turns us into enemies. People who have never met kill each other out of fear. We create so much suffering. Children become orphans. Entire cities and villages are destroyed. All who suffer through these conflicts are victims. Coming from a background of such devastation and suffering, having experienced the French Indochina War and the Vietnam War, I have the deep aspiration to prevent war from ever happening again. It is my prayer that nations will no longer send their young people to fight each other, not even in the name of peace. I do not accept the concept of a war for peace, a just war, as I also cannot accept the concept of just slavery, just hatred or just racism. During the wars of Vietnam, my friends and I declared ourselves neutral. We took no sides and we had no enemies. North or South, French, American or Vietnamese, we saw that the victim of war is the person who perpetrates it. As Mahatma Gandhi said, an eye for an eye only makes the whole world blind. The nature of peace. During the war in Vietnam, those of us who practice nonviolence learned that it is truly possible to live happily and free from hatred even among people who hate us. But to do so, we need to be calm, to see clearly that the real situation is, what the real situation is and what it is not. And then to wake up and act with courage. Peace is not simply the absence of violence, it is the cultivation of understanding, insight and compassion combined with action. Peace is the practice of mindfulness, the practice of being aware of our thoughts, our actions and the consequences of our actions. Mindfulness is at once simple and profound. When we are mindful and cultivate compassion in our daily lives, we diminish violence each day. We have a positive effect on our family, friends and society. Some people think there is a difference between mindfulness and meditation, but that is not correct. The practice of mindfulness is simply to bring awareness into each moment of our lives. Mindful living is an art. You do not have to be a monk or live in a monastery to practice mindfulness. You can practice at any time, whilst driving your car or doing housework. 
Driving is in mindfulness will make the, t- the time in your car joyful, as it will also help you avoid accidents. You can use the red traffic light as a sig- tra- the red traffic light as a signal of mindfulness, reminding you to stop and enjoy your breathing. Similarly, when you do the dishes after dinner, you can practice mindful breathing so the time of the dishwashing is pleasant and meaningful. Do not feel you have to rush. If you hurry, you waste the time of dishwashing. The time you spend washing dishes and doing all your other everyday tasks is precious. It is a time for being alive. When you practice mindful living, peace will bloom during your daily activities. Please use the guided meditations in this book to help you practice mindfulness and nonviolence. You can use these practices individually and you and your family can enjoy them together. These step-by-step meditations help us to calm our emotions and see our interbeing, to see that there is no separation between you and me, between you and any other person, to see that we are all into our. As my friend Martin Luther King Jr. wrote, all life is interrelated. We are all caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied into a single garment of destiny. Spiritual teachings of our tradition, traditions help us cultivate the seeds of compassion, compassion, non-violence, inclusiveness and reconciliation. They show us the way out of fear and conflict. Hatred cannot be stopped by hatred. Violence should not be responded to with violence. The only way out of violence and conflict is for us to embrace the practice of peace, to think and act with compassion, love and understanding. Yet many of us have lost faith in these teachings and think that they are unrealistic and outdated. Instead, we invest ourselves in the pursuit of fame and wealth, thinking that these will make us happy. When we are honest with ourselves and look deeply into our hearts, however, we will see that even if we had unlimited wealth and power, we could still live in fear. The only way out of violence and conflict is for us to embrace the practice of peace, to think and act with compassion, love and understanding. I hope that was enjoyable for those that listened to it and uh, I apologise if I butchered some of the names of places uh, and anything that was maybe a bit unclear. (laughs) All right. Thanks, friends. Thank you so much, Orla, for that wonderful reading. Creating True Peace, Ending Conflict in Yourself, Your Family, Your Community and the World by Thich Nhat We were reading from the 2003 Rider Books edition. So thanks, friends, for being with us. And if you'd like to be involved in any of the other podcasts, then you can let us know through the form link here. And um, yeah, if you would like to be involved in being interviewed or you'd like to give a short sharing to answer one of our questions, suggest any content for the, for the show, you'd be so welcome to do that. And lastly, to say that Wake Up London activity is thanks to donations of friends. If you enjoyed the episode, and would like to donate towards further Wake Up London activities, you can do so also through the form. We're suggesting a pound or two per episode. Thanks.
We're going to end with a piece of music by Tom Manuel. It's called Piano Piece. This was on the Peace Sounds 1 album as well, um, as the opening track by Hilary Bukowski. Thank you. 